I'm Michelle, certified personal trainer and certified nutrition coach. And I'm Marissa, and I'm a certified nutrition coach and group fitness instructor. And this is the Strong and Simple Podcast. We're tackling the latest fads, trends, and hot topics in the nutrition, wellness, and fitness industries using science and conversation to bust myths and give you the information you need to navigate the bullshit. Tune in for your twice a week truth bombs every Tuesday and Friday. We, Michelle Farrell and Marissa Zabo of the Strong and Simple Podcast, reside on Pawtucket land. We acknowledge the land and the Pawtucket people, as well as the land and the people of the many Native nations of whom the land belongs. To respect and honor them and their land, as well as to be mindful of the harm colonialism has and continues to do on the Indigenous people of the United States and the world. This land acknowledgement is our commitment to support Indigenous peoples and their voices in the struggle against systemic oppression and for human rights, as well as to push against the cancelling and erasure of their history, their stories, their culture, and their present. We encourage you to visit native-land.ca to discover whose land you are residing on, as well as ways to support Indigenous folks. Hello and welcome back to the Strong and Simple Podcast. This is Marissa bringing you this week's mini-sode. And this week we are talking about food labels. Who's excited for this? I feel like a lot of people probably just turn this off. (laughs) Maybe not. I feel like this is, I chose this topic because this is a huge point of confusion for so many people that I interact with, that I work with. There's a lot of confusion out there. about the label itself. And there's also, there's some misleading stuff out there too. I mean, the label itself, there are parts that are misleading, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And there's information out there about nutrition facts labels that are misleading. And the way that we look at nutrition facts labels and food labels is also clouded by the diet culture that we live in right? It's when you have heard all of these conflicting messages about carbs are bad, fat is bad, added sugar is bad, you only need to eat this many calories a day. It makes looking at a nutrition facts panel that much more confusing and convoluted, right? So my goal for today's mini-sode is to give you the basics of what you need to know to kind of clear up that cloudiness and hopefully have you wrap up this episode being able to look at a nutrition facts panel and glean from it the information that you need that is most important to you within the whole greater context of all this other shit that we have floating around. So let's dig into it because it's a mini soda. It's got to be short. It's got to be efficient. So let's start with um, the nutrition facts panel itself. Now, there are very specific parts of a food packages label that are actually regulated meaning there are specific things they have to list. There are specific ways those things have to be listed. There are certain things they can and cannot say. The nutrition facts panel and the ingredients list are going to be the most regulated aspects of your food label. Boom, period, the end. There are other seals and emblems and things like that that get put all over the package and those are not government regulation. And I'm going to get into those a little bit later. So we'll just focus on the nutrition facts panel to start out here. 
Okay, so nutrition facts panel, you know, it's that rectangular box that's either on the back or the side of the packaging. It lists out your serving size, how many servings are in the container, a whole bunch of nutrition information, um, both in terms of macronutrients and a few vitamins and minerals on there as well. So I want to start right at the top there with serving size. Now, there have been a few changes to nutrition facts labels over the last couple of years, one of them making the serving size a little bit more prominent. And there's a lot of misconceptions around what the serving size is. Most of us look at the panel, see serving size and think, okay, that's how much of this food I'm supposed to eat but that's not actually the case. This is not a recommendation for how much of whatever food that is you should eat. Instead, what that serving size is, is a standardization so that you can compare the nutritional content of the food you're looking at to a different food. That's all it is. It's not an actual nutritional recommendation. So little background here on how this actually works. So if you've ever noticed at the very bottom of your nutrition facts panel, there's this fine print. There's a little asterisk and there's this little fine print. And it says the daily, the percent daily value tells you how much a nutrient in a serving of food contributes to a daily diet of 2000 calories a day used for general nutrition advice. So all the information on this nutrition facts label is based on a 2000 calorie a day diet. Does that mean you're supposed to be eating 2000 calories a day? No, absolutely not. But the way that they actually arrived at that 2000 calorie a day number is probably going to surprise and possibly infuriate you. So prior to 1990, we didn't have modern food labels the way that we have them today. So in an effort to create the modern nutrition facts panels and food labels that we have today, the USDA recognized that they needed some type of standardization in order to make those labels actually useful to the general public so that we could look at two different food packages and be able to say, oh, okay, well, this one has more of this than this one and accurately be able to make an educated decision based on what that information said on the nutrition facts panel, okay? So they're trying to figure out the best number to standardize that information to. The way that they did this was they surveyed folks and based on the self-reported information that participants provided, so they just asked them to report, how many calories a day do you think you're eating? They arrived at this number. So a couple issues here, number one, asking the average person to report how many calories they're consuming. First of all, I mean, it's not gonna be accurate, <laughs> not just because of self-reporting, but because a lot of folks don't, like, we don't have a concept of how many calories we're eating. Um, and it's not gonna be accurate either because it's not like these folks were, were given this, you know, sophisticated technology by the, the USDA and are actually like combusting their food to measure how many calories are in each of it. Um, so that's one issue. And the other issue is self-reported data is notoriously unreliable. Folks either massively underreport how much they 
consume or they overreport it. They're never accurate <laughs> with how much they actually report. It's just a law, apparently. Um, so they took this self-reported data, which is, I mean, just say it's it's bad data. And they basically averaged it all together, came up with a number that wasn't too neat and clean. And so they rounded it off to 2000 calories a day to make things simpler for folks. Um, and so that's where we got the standardization for our nutrition facts label. So basically when you're looking at your nutrition facts label and it says serving size, two thirds of a cup, it's not saying you should only eat two thirds of a cup of this food. It's saying, if you ate two thirds of a cup of this food, this is how many of these nutrients it contains. And if you only eat 2000 calories a day, this is what percentage of those calories this food would take up. That's what it is. So it's just allowing you to be able to say, this food compares to this food in this way. So that's the first important piece of information about nutrition facts labels. I gave a presentation once on this and this one person was completely outraged at this information um, and was like, well, then what's the point of even reading the label? They we were just so angry about it. And it, this doesn't mean that this is useless information. This doesn't mean that the serving size is completely useless. It gives you a starting point for you to get an idea of what you were eating if you were somebody who was concerned about looking at that. So you can say, okay, well, if I eat two thirds of a cup of this food, I know that there's eight grams of fat in two thirds of a cup of this food. So I'm gonna eat a whole cup of this food and I can do the math if you want to, to figure out how many grams of fat are in that, right? The percent daily value is gonna be a little bit trickier because that is a proportion of 2000 calories a day, which pretty much nobody's eating 2000 calories a day. So that's not completely useless is, is what I'm trying to get at here, but this isn't you know, law that this is how much you're supposed to eat. Use it as a guideline, use it as a point of reference when you're trying to figure out what you're eating as you're looking at this label. Moving on down the label, the next thing that you will see featured literally the most prominently, and this is a recent change to nutrition facts labels, I think it's absolute garbage, but they made the calorie count enormous and put it in bold font on the nutrition facts panel. And really what this comes from is this comes from this um, anti-fat government policies is really what it is. They're still convinced that obesity is an epidemic. They're still convinced that Americans are eating way too much and basically bombarding folks with calorie counts is the way to stop them from eating so much even though there's literal mountains of data that have shown that calorie counts included on foods and menus and things like that aren't actually an effective tool for getting people to eat less. But whatever, it's the government. They're gonna keep doing what they do because they don't, <laughs> they don't give a shit. Um, so you'll see calories coming up next and featured as though it's the most important piece of information on the label. And it's not, I, you know, from a nutritional perspective, it's not the most important piece of information on the label. It's literally the amount of energy in a serving of that food. So keep in mind, everything else on this label is just for that serving size. So if you are somebody who's counting calories, yeah, you're probably going to want to look at it, but it's important to keep in mind that just because in a lab, this food contains 230 calories in a serving size, doesn't mean you're actually going to absorb 230 calories 
if you eat that serving size. There's a big difference between calories outside the body and inside the body. There's a whole plethora of factors that influence how much you actually absorb. And honestly, we still don't actually know how much we actually absorb. We know there's variation from person to person, but we don't actually have a way of measuring how much a person actually is absorbing. So again, not a hard and fast on this one, um, but you can, again, use it as a rough guideline, right? The best we can do as just random individuals trying to track calories is go by what the label says. So that's what we're gonna do. And it's, you know what, it's close enough. <laughs> so that's the next thing you're gonna find as you're going through a nutrition facts label. And then under that is where you're getting your percent daily value and all these macronutrients, some micronutrients and some vitamins and minerals. And there are specific ones that are required by the government to be listed out and to be listed out in a certain way on this panel, okay? So as I said about calories not being the most important thing. The things that I actually think that folks need to focus on more, and I actually recommend the folks I work with focus on more, are going to be things like sodium content, added sugar, dietary fiber, and protein. So as if you've listened to this podcast for any period of time, you know that both Michelle and I are nutrition coaches who we don't believe in good foods and bad foods. There's no such thing as a good food or a bad food because there's no single food that is bad for your health or makes you gain weight or like ruins your health, unless it's like poison or you were allergic to it, right? There's room for every single food in a healthy diet. Likewise, there is no single nutrient that is going to ruin your health or make you gain weight or have, you know, catastrophic impacts on you if you consume it. <clears throat> that being said, by and large, I see three trends in most folks in the US. Most of us eat too much sodium. Most of us eat too much added sugar. And most of us don't need anywhere near enough fiber in our diets. So those are why I really think those are the most important things to focus on. So to give you some general guidelines here, the recommendation for sodium intake is less than 2,300 milligrams per day. Less than 2,300 milligrams per day. Most of us are eating like double that. It's not good. Um, that is one of those things like there's nothing, we need sodium. There's nothing wrong with sodium in and of itself. We need it. Our bodies need it, but we don't need to be eating crap tons of it. All right, we, we can overdo it with sodium. And when we're consistently eating too much sodium, that creates these chronic health conditions. Added sugar. So another change that came along with the most recent changes to nutrition facts labels is they broke out added sugars from total sugars, which is great for foods like yogurt, for example, which naturally contains sugar, lactose, um, but also can contain added sugars from sweeteners, from flavorings, from fruit, et cetera. So it's very helpful for you to be able to tell what is naturally occurring in that product and what has been added on top of that. The difference between the two being the sugar that just happens to happen in dairy products isn't traveling on its own, right? It's hanging out with fat and protein and other nutrients. And 
added sugar is not. <laughs> that added sugar is just extra sugar being put in there. So the recommendations for added sugar are going to be no more than 24 grams a day for women and no more than 36 grams a day for men. So that's what you want to be looking or keeping in mind as you're looking at your nutrition facts panel and you're reading those grams of added sugar. Okay. Going to dietary fiber, you want that number as high as you can possibly get it. As I said, most of us are not eating enough fiber, period, the end. So get as much fiber in there as you possibly can. Same with protein. Try to get that protein number as high as you can as well. Um, it's important that we eat enough protein. Protein deficiency in the U.S. is incredibly rare, but not deficient does not necessarily mean optimal. And protein also plays a lot of roles in keeping us feeling satisfied in injury recovery, repair, rebuild, all kinds of things. So making sure that you can get that protein number nice and high is good as well. Other factors to consider here, daily fat. We need fat in our diet. We don't need a lot of fat in our diet. So you wanna be keeping in mind how much of that you're consuming as well on that label. So that's kind of the nutrition facts panel in a nutshell. The ingredients list is going to be the other most regulated aspect of your food label. And there are rules about how everything has to be listed, the order in which everything is listed on that panel. And there's a little bit of confusion about the order in which the ingredients are listed. A lot of folks think that it's the most abundant ingredient that is listed first. It's actually in terms of weight, not like amount. So just because an uh, ingredient is listed first doesn't mean it's necessarily the most abundant, it's the heaviest. So you'll see like water listed first a lot of the time because water's freaking heavy. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. So that's something to consider there as well. So that's that. That's the part of the packaging that you really want to look at. I think this is the most important piece of information. The rest of it, it's fluff. It's marketing, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So when you look at the front of a food package, right, cereal in particular, they love to make all kinds of claims on cereal, right? You'll see things like heart healthy, excellent source of fiber, all natural. These literally have no regulated meaning whatsoever. All that kind of hype, those hype words, hype phrases, things like that, they can literally mean whatever the food manufacturer wants it to mean. And usually it's completely meaningless. So when you are looking at two food, say you're looking at two identical food products, one says all natural on the front, the other one doesn't, that doesn't mean the one that's all natural is healthier for you. Just means the manufacturer thought you'd be more likely to buy it if they put all natural on the front of the package. It literally doesn't mean anything. And you could look and the ingredients will be the exact freaking same. So you really need to be diligent as uh, a consumer and really scrutinize these things, really scrutinize these labels and know that basically anything on the front of the box is completely unre unregulated. It's whatever the hell the food manufacturer wants to put on it. That being said, there are a couple things that you will see on the front of a box that do have some rules. Things like the USDA organic seal, things like non-GMO project, 
et cetera, et cetera. So the USDA organic seal, this is another thing that is a little bit misleading. And the reason it's misleading is because in order to get that seal, only 70% of the ingredients have to be certified organic, only 70%. So folks will often buy, you know, something that's listed as organic thinking they're, you know, they're avoiding all pesticides, you know, yada, 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 and they're actually not. Um, and the other thing that makes this a little bit misleading is even organic foods contain some pesticides. Um, they I mean, they use natural pesticides on organic crops, but basically all organic foods are contaminated with some synthetic pesticides as well. It's just the way things are because they were once used in the soil because they blew over from a neighboring farm. So there's going to be some contamination and there are limits set by the USDA for what is considered, what can still be considered organic in light of that contamination. So they set limits for that. So that's the first thing. You're not ever actually getting anything completely free from those synthetic um, pesticides, fertilizers, et cetera. Um, the other thing that's important to note is that getting that label is a pay to play game. It is expensive to earn the USDA organic label and it's time consuming. They need to look at every aspect of a company's production and the production of the ingredients that go into that food, as well as the final product. And if a company has a number of different products, they have to get a separate certification for every single one of the products that they sell if they want that seal on it. So they have to pay every time they want that to happen. This involves inspectors actually coming out to their facilities. This involves tests being run, a lot of different stuff. So you might have a big company that can afford to be paying all that. And yes, they do pass that along to the consumer, which is why organic foods are more expensive and a lot of a lot of the time. Um, and you might have a small mom and pop company that is also selling foods that are technically organic, but they can't say that they are. They can't put that seal on it because they can't afford to have the USDA come in and verify it. And if they were to pass that price on to the consumers, it would make it prohibitively expensive because as a smaller organization, a smaller operation, their operating costs are already going to be different and more burdensome than a huge manufacturer. So their prices are already probably a little bit higher anyway. So that's something that's also really important to keep in mind when you're seeing the USDA organic label on different foods. Now, the non-GMO project label is a whole other can of worms, and I feel like we could do an entire episode on how incredibly problematic the non-GMO project is. Um, this is not a government entity. This is not a government-sponsored entity. This is not a government-regulated seal. This is an independent organization that created their own seal for food packages. Similar to the USDA organic process, you pay the non-GMO project, they come out, they've got their whole process for verifying whether or not your food can be certified as non-genetically modified, okay? Here's where things get tricky. There are only 10 crops in the U.S. food supply that are genetically modified. There are only 10 crops for sale in the U.S. that are genetically modified. Corn, soy, cotton, potato, papaya, summer squash, canola, alfalfa, apples, 
and sugar beets. Those are the only foods for sale in the United States that are genetically modified. And yet you will see the non-GMO project label all over foods and food packages that don't contain a single one of these ingredients. That's where it's really misleading, right? This is all marketing. Again, these are companies who can afford to get that label. And the non-GMO project is totally cool with taking their money and allowing them to use that label when they know damn well that food has no GMOs in it whatsoever because it doesn't contain any of those crops. So hmm, I've got I got feelings about the GMO project and maybe in a future episode, we'll, we'll dig into a little bit about um, how problematic they are. We'll do the EWG too, maybe. But um, yeah, so that's something to really keep in mind. You may very well be paying more for a product <clears throat> with a non-GMO project label on it when there was no risk of be consuming GMOs in that food to begin with because it doesn't contain any. Um, so again, be an informed consumer read those labels. You can, I mean, you can literally look at the ingredients list and if it contains one of those 10 crops, you can assume it's probably genetically modified. If you don't see any of those crops in the ingredients list, don't pay extra for the food that has that label on it. Save yourself a couple bucks or a couple cents, especially in this economy, and buy the food that doesn't have that label on it because you know there's no genetically modified components to it. Not to mention the fact that this whole campaign really preys on this, like this fear factor, this fear mongering around genetically modified foods. There's, there's been so many studies done. We have a very, very safe food supply here in the U.S. We're very lucky. There have been lots of studies done on genetically modified foods, and there has been no evidence that consuming genetically modified foods is adverse to your health and any more adverse to your health than a non-genetically modified food. It's like straight up fear-mongering. So that's another thing to kind of keep in mind there. If you want to spend the money on it, that's your prerogative. If you feel more comfortable spending, if you feel more comfortable eating foods that are certified as non-genetically modified, that's totally your prerogative. Go for it. But in the interest of giving you the information that you need to make the best decision for yourself, it's a pay-to-play label. It's often very misleading. And there's really no safety advantage to consuming non-genetically modified foods in comparison to genetically modified foods. So that is that when it comes to the front of the food box. Now, things like kosher, that type of label, yeah, that's going to be regulated. They, they can't just like slap kosher on any, any food. It has to actually be kosher. Um, so that's something that's going to be important. Um, even things like gluten-free, you got to check on stuff like that because there have definitely been issues where a product is labeled gluten-free, but there's still some gluten in it. And if you are somebody who has celiac, you will react to even that small amount of gluten. Um, likewise, not accounting for cross-contamination and labeling it gluten-free. You can have cross-contamination in your plant, still put a gluten-free label on your box, and it's on the consumer to find the disclaimer that hopefully you put on there that says manufacturing a facility that also processes yada, yada, yada. Um, or they have to actually do research on the company itself when it comes to cross-contamination. So it gets really dicey when it comes to things like that. But <clears throat> those are food labels in a nutshell. So 
what you really need to know to kind of sum things up, put a neat little bow on things, because I realized this was a lot of information. Really, the most important things that you want to be looking at, the most reliable things that you want to be looking at on your food package is the nutrition facts panel and the ingredients list that goes along with it. Those are going to be the two most important things when it comes to your food label. Anything else on that label is kind of, it's like whatever it is. Um, there are a couple seals that companies can pay for that also come with their share of issues. And outside of those actual regulated or controlled seals, um, the company can put whatever the hell they want on the front of the box, really. You know, obviously there are consumer protection issues with things that are deliberately misleading. But I mean, if you've ever picked up like for example, candy is a great example of this. If you ever picked up a peppermint patty and it says a fat-free food on the front, so many people are going to be like, oh yeah, sweet. Fat's not what I'm concerned about when I pick up a peppermint patty. I'm sorry, first of all. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where they put it on there because they know it's going to make you more likely to buy that. And it's not necessarily an indicator of the health factor of the food or the nutrition content of the food. Um, so definitely be suspicious, be suspicious and check out those, those food labels, really check it out. Next time you're at the store, like see, see what kind of craziness you see written on the front of these boxes, because it really is wild. Some of the claims that they'll put on the front of these boxes, um, to get you to buy. So that is this week's mini soda. I hope that you found this helpful. I hope it wasn't too scattered. Sometimes I am. I'm still having my coffee this morning. But those are those are food labels. Um, if you have questions about this mini soda or anything else that you want to want to have us talk about, send us an email, strong and simple podcast at gmail.com. Or you can also shoot us a message on Instagram. Instagram is strong and simple podcast. Join the conversation over there while you're there. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends, share it, subscribe, like it, whatever you do to podcasts that you enjoy. And be sure to tune in for our next episode on Friday. This has been an episode of the Strong and Simple podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the topics we've discussed or about any of our guests, please make sure that you visit us on Instagram at strong and simple podcast. And if there's ever any topics, questions, concerns, anything that you would like to suggest to us, please feel free to email us at strong and simple podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. content of this podcast represents the views and opinions of Michelle Farrell, Marissa Zabo, and their guests, and is not intended to be individualized advice or recommendations. Nothing in this episode is to be construed as medical advice or to substitute for individualized fitness or nutrition advice. Always consult with the appropriate professional for your own needs.